This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the official None and Ever pre-season podcast ladies and gentlemen your team is back we have celebrated survival at the end of last season we have rested our vocal cords with our families over the summer break we've parted with jamie vardy on the marbella beaches no actually we didn't do that no we didn't do that but the gaffer has brought us back into pre-season training and your team is back ready to discuss a whole 2017-2018 premier league campaign and everything claret and blue now, there's not been any summer transfer activity at Known and Ever HQ. At the end of last season, we, of course, brought you the news that long-term host Jamie Smith had departed, but there has been no other incomings or outgoings that we can report. So let's use this opportunity to introduce to you your new look Known and Ever team. A team of four individuals. We start with Adam Howarth, producer Adam, as he's more affectionately known. You'll know his dulcet tones from his rare cameo appearances on the podcast, but he can usually be found in the background editing the show that you know and love so well and also dealing with all of our technical issues. The other three members of the team you know very well. Your regular panellists, myself, Natalie Bromley, James Bird and Kevin Robinson, both of whom I'm delighted to announce are with me on this evening's show. James, Kevin, welcome back. Woohoo, we're back. Woohoo, woohoo. Did you both have a good summer? It's barely even got going. Summer only started in June. Well, yeah, that's true. It does feel like it's been a very, very quick break, hasn't it? And I think as well, a, a lot one of our listeners don't realise is we tend to, over the summer months as well, get a ridiculous amount of, of requests, don't we, for podcast appearances and Q&As from other fan sites. So I think those of those are ramped up. But uh, but it is nice to be back. Hopefully you're both very well rested. Well, reasonably well rested, but, you know, life goes on. It does, it does. Um, Kevin, before we move on to this evening's show, um, we did over the summer, one of the things that we we ventured into was um, compiling and distributing a survey, which so many of our listeners took the time out to complete for us, which we're very, very grateful for. And it just gave us some feedback as to how you want your Known and Ever podcast to be moulded over the coming season and what you want to see us do. Um, Kevin, do you want to just spend a little bit of time going through that with our listeners? Yes, so as Natalie said, um, we asked for your thoughts on the podcast. We sent a, a survey out um, and asking you what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear, um, and your general thoughts and ideas on the podcast. Uh, we had an awesome response. And that's a real theme, really, is, is with your help. So this season, we really want to make the podcast all about you guys. We want to hear lots of different opinions, lots of different thoughts. Um, this is your this is your Burnley FC podcast, and we've reflected that in our new strap line. We've changed it from... Um, our strapline used to be known and ever the independent Burnley FC podcast uh, it's now known and ever your Clarets podcast uh, so it's all about you so please tweet us your thoughts email us when you disagree disagree with us um, send us a Facebook message when you've got something else to add to one of the debates we've been having really just let us know what you think and we'll read out we'll read out um, lots of comments every week as as long as we get as long as we get them um, we also want to know what your ideas you've had if, if you've got an idea for a feature what you want to talk about uh, or anything like that yeah please let us know and we we really love to get your ideas and and that moves into another area we, we, we you, you guys talked about was that sometimes it can get a little bit repetitive but 
so what we've done, we want to add a little bit more variety in, into what we're talking about. So we also asked you about what features you like and what features you, you like, what we've done before, what features you want us to talk about, any feature ideas you've got. So what's going to happen this season, we will spend... We'll still spend a lot of time talking about the last match, analysing what worked and, and how fantastic our, hopefully, how fantastic our performance was and all our wins were. Um, but we'll also have lots of mini features in the middle of the podcast as well. So that might be interviews, it might be talking to opposition fans, it might be looking at players who are out on loan or former players, it might be a, a debate, um, stats about the opposition, more information, audio clips from the stand like we did against the, uh, for the Middlesbrough game and promotion season. Um, topics voted for by you, book reviews, lots of different things, uh, lots of different feature ideas we've got lined up. Um, and like I said, it's all about you, so we're really keen to hear what you guys think as well. So if you've got, you've got any feature ideas you'd like to uh, contribute, please, again, as always, let us know. Tweet them to uh, tweet them to at no never, which is our new Twitter handle. We've moved away from at no at no never net, which is, as you can tell by my words, is far too hard to say. Um, so you can tweet us now at no never. You can email us at podcast at net, uh, or send us a message through the website, uh, which is net. Send us your feature ideas and we'll make sure we have them in. Um, so yeah, the top line is um, but we really love your feedback. You've told us you love the podcast. You've told us some of the things you'd like us to do to, to make it even better. And we're going to do them. This is your, your Claret's podcast. So please continue to get involved. Excellent stuff. This is very exciting. I can't wait to see where we where we go this season. It's going to be really good. Um, but let's move on to this week's show. We're going to start where it naturally feels that we should start, and that is with Burnley's pre-season. A pre-season that saw our first team go on tour to Ireland, racking up a comprehensive win against Shamrock Rovers. We then had the very confusing two games in one day where Clarets fans were having to split their time um, between Kidderminster Harriers and Alfreton Town, both of which were, again, more wins for the Clarets, before another win at Deepdale and two draws against Notts Forest and Celta Vigo. The final pre-season game took us at home to Hanover 96, and that is where we start this week's podcast. A game that hit the headlines for all of the wrong reasons, a game that was abandoned at half-time on police advice following some serious crowd trouble. Now, the police investigation is still ongoing with this game, and we have to be careful here as to try and speculate as to what went, what went wrong and what actually happened. But from what we can see from local reports, the... Trouble started just after Ben Mee put the Clarets ahead, just on the stroke of half-time. Following that goal, a selection of Hanover fans caused some damage to the cricket field stand, ripping some chairs from the stand itself, using those chairs as both shields and as weapons, and surged towards the Burnley fans in that cricket field stand, with reports coming in that some of those fans had knives as well. So, James, it just it feels really incomprehensible that in this day and age we are talking about a game that's marred with with crowd trouble. And, and, and to me, it doesn't really make that much difference whether it was a pre-season friendly or a competitive match. There's just absolutely no place at all for that kind of trouble. Surely it must come as a shock to you that we even heard this reported, never mind saw it with our own eyes. No, it's, it's a massive shock, to be honest. And uh... Particularly as I think German football's fan experience is quite often held up as, uh, you know, being better than than it is in England. You know, people always going about season ticket prices there, and you know, look at the atmosphere. But um, I think this goes to show that clearly there's, there's still maybe a bit of an ugly side to to football in in Germany, um, and it's just massively disappointing to see that going this day and age. And particularly when it's not even a you know a game that means anything. It's just a, a pre-season friendly, and you know, to see it. Um, have to be abandoned at half time when I'm sure there's probably lots of kids seeing the first game it's not really the impression you want to set for them and I've seen a few people on Twitter saying that um, you know Burnley fans sang 10 German bombers so what, what did they expect but you see British fans play you know German teams all the time and sing 10 German bombers and it, this this doesn't happen um, so I think it's a you know, it's a bit of a, a weak argument to say, oh, well, you sang a song, so what did you expect? Uh, clearly, it was premeditated. You know, there was people there with knives, supposedly. Um, you know, they've, they've travelled looking to cause trouble. Um, and it, it really does 
sort of leave a leave a bit of taste. And you know, I thought football had moved away from that sort of stuff and had had uh, put it well behind it. No, you're absolutely right. I, I completely agree. Um, Kevin, this is a really tricky time across the world at the moment. Every single country is on an increased terror alert. And what worries me a little bit is is that questions are going to be asked of Burnley. Not, you know, there's no suggestion at this point that there was any trouble caused by or created by any Burnley fans. You know, I think that it seems to be the suggestion that Hanover did cause this. But surely there's got to be some questions answered by the club or its security team as to in a in a life, well, I guess in a time where everybody's concerned about personal safety, that known hooligans were, enable, were able to travel to a Premier League side and were able to get knives into a club. What do you think the repercussions of this are going to be? I hope that the repercussions are are going to be sensible. Um, I don't I don't think we really want to get a stage where um, we, everyone's getting thorough searches going into into games at Turf Moor. I think we've we've had that on a couple of occasions, but I think we're, we're it, it's good that the vast majority of games we, you can you can walk in and there's a lot of um, I don't want to say trust there, but you know sometimes you go to some games and it's it's almost like you're going through airport security. Um, and I, I hope we don't have to go that far. I think I, I do wonder if uh, the preparations would have been the same for this match as if it was a, a competitive match. Uh, but perhaps not. I, I, I guess for competitive matches, there's a, a lot more um, communication between the, the clubs and the respective police forces and uh, and so on and so forth, um, which perhaps doesn't happen as much in a friendly game. I guess that that, that sort of planning does take a lot of planning um, from the, the local authorities, like I said, the police. Uh, and for something like a, a friendly game where you don't really expect anything like this to happen, that I'm guessing the, 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 you don't go into as much detail in, in that respect. Uh, obviously, being two clubs from different countries adds an extra complexity to that as well. So... I think everybody from the club to the, the local police forces to the, the wider authorities and the FA and whoever it might be that has any input in this will recognise that this was a an extreme situation. It was a very unexpected situation. It's probably not likely to happen again. However, you probably will see the the police... It's almost an experience, both the police and the and the stewards and the the safety planning of the club. And I think, from what I gather, they, they reacted very well. I think they tried to they, they got the home fans um, out of the stands uh, and then called the match off when it became apparent that there was there was a threat to safety. So actually, I think it's 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 actually a positive. That response is a positive. It shows that despite certainly my time for supporting Burnley, I've not seen anything. Anything like this, um, I saw. I started watching Burnley around 2000, and there's, there's, I've, I've not seen any trouble whatsoever in any way, shape, or form at watching Burnley. So the fact that we've not had any any trouble like that, and we've been we were able to react relatively relatively quickly and very effectively, for me, is a very positive uh, a very positive sign. Yeah, I can see that. Like I say, it is it is worrying, and I, and I wonder whether people are are concerned. Like I say, because as a general feeling, people are, I guess are nervous, um, particularly in in situations where there are crowds. But it's very pleasing to hear um, how quickly the, the the local police and the club did deal with this, and, and obviously put the safety of those fans in that stand first. Um, moving moving slightly away from the Hanover game and onto preseason in general, um, Bertie, how do you feel about preseason in general? Are you happy with the progress that the Clarets made, are you happy with the preparations or do you think there is some work still left to do? This is going to be a very, very boring take, but I don't really pay any attention to pre-season games, to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, it means nothing and I actually thought there was a really interesting quote in um, one of the, the, the papers covering Southend uh, last week from Michael Carter where he said uh, the thing with pre-season is, you know, you're working so hard to get get fit for the season, you you're very tired, and you can go into the preseason games feeling uh, really lethargic. Um, so I think it's 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 a bit almost foolish to to take too much from from what happens in these preseason games. And you know the, the standard opposition doesn't tend to be as as good as what you expect. And there's a lot of chopping and changing. Um, I, I think it's much easier to judge sort of 
the progress the team's made after uh, probably your first two Premier League games, particularly this season. You know, obviously, it was such a tough game first. I think once you've had that balance of uh, opposition, um, I think it's easier then to say uh, what progress we've made as a team. No, that's a, that's a really interesting point, actually. I don't think that's one that I'd particularly concentrated on before, just on the grounds that I'm probably guilty of of paying way too much attention to pre-season games um, and to, to worry about possible form of players. Um, I think the main thing for me taking from pre-season is, is just the encouraging level of fitness that our players seem to have got. The reports coming out of the pre-season and from what we've seen so far is that they haven't really let, none of the players seem to have let themselves go over the summer. They've not got a lot of work to do. They've come back fitter and sharper than they ever have done and that's creating a, a, a serious amount of competition across the squad which is really good to see. We want players to be able to fight for places because we want them to play at their absolute best. Um Kevin, on, on that note, I guess the only thing slightly concerns me is whether or not the abandonment of the Hanover game has somehow disrupted Deitch's plans for pre-season. You know, he had intended to, to run those players out for 90 minutes to get some more fitness under their belt and also um, have a look at some differing formations and some different players in different positions. Do you think that the loss of that game and the loss of that opportunity is going to cause us any problems at all going into the early parts of the season? No, I was I was a little bit surprised really to say Sean Dice to hear hear Sean Dice talking about looking at organising an, another match. Um, for me, you, you look at we we abandoned the the last friendly game at half time, so you've missed forty five minutes of pre season. Uh, obviously, I appreciate pre season is a is very important to to kicking into the, the season proper, but I can't imagine that 45 minutes is going to make a, a massive difference to where we are. Um, we'll, we'll probably end up playing a maybe an unexpected friendly against the against the youth team behind closed doors or something. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't see how. Log- I'm just trying to work it out in my head. I can't see how it's going to make a going to make a big difference. So that's that. I, I hope that's I hope that's correct. I can't see why it would be. I think. You, what you were talking about about fitness there was a good, was a really good point. I was just I was just thinking that this is our first preseason in our in our big shiny new um, training training centre. Oh yes, of course that's true. Uh, obviously, we've heard a lot of a lot of comments about that. It's build, been building up for the last couple of years. Lots of exciting exciting things coming out of Turf Moor. Uh, we've heard players talking about how fantastic it is and how much of a, a much bigger step up it is in terms of the infrastructure there and and what they've got to work with. So that's a that's a really big positive. I know we had a we had a very fit squad anyway last season. We've shown that was a big part of what Sean Dyche wanted to do for the last few years since he came into the club was making the the club the the, the, the squad very fit. And hopefully this this new training the new training centre can only help and aid that. Um, so it's going to be obviously it's it's, it's an interesting month. It's not something obviously we're very used to talking about things which are very tangible to us. You know we can talk about should Stephen Ward start at left back? Should Andrew Gray start at the top? Should we play this particular formation? We can really easily comment on that on that and how how that impacts the team. And we can notice we can see you know oh, George Boyd maybe slowing our game down there or Scott Arfield makes us too narrow. We can really comment on this because we can see how they impact the team. Whereas it's really hard for us to grasp what sort of an impact this the new training centre is going to have. Um, it's potentially something it'd be good to uh, to explore on the podcast at some point if we can um, talk to the right people. But mm, definitely, I know I know it's something that all we can go off is the the fantastic noises we've been heard coming from Sean Dyche, his team, the the rest of the guys at Burnley. I know when I, when when we I was speaking to David Baldwin as part of the um, LGBT podcast last last season afterwards. Um, he we, we he drove me up to the up to the train station in his in his car and he was talking about the the new training centre and he you could just see the, the the excitement coming out of his face he was he was so excited about it so enthusiastic about it and all the the, the new players comments so everything we've heard is fantastic so it's going to be really interesting to 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 see how that impacts the team and if it does have an impact on our on our fitness and the way the team plays together and and also the the, the, the long-term future of the club. So that's, that's for me, is really exciting. And it's also quite exciting that we don't know how it impacts the club and, and the team. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's something that had, had, had slipped my radar a little bit. I, I thought for some reason that we were still um, waiting for that facility to be finished. So if that is the case, um, well, obviously, as you're saying, it is. And they've, they've been they've had their pre-season in the new facility, then it's going to be really, really interesting. And, and like Kevin says, let's let's explore that on, on one of the upcoming episodes and see how we feel um, it's having um, an impact on the squad. 
Prior to this week's podcast, we spoke to local journalist Andrew Greaves, who was at the game on Saturday, who gave us his take on what he saw. Yeah, I mean, we got in literally just before kickoff, so we um, obviously we didn't see any of the pre-match build-up, but you could hear the German fans quite loudly as we were kind of walking along Harry Potter's way and collecting his tickets and walking around the ground. But um, it seemed fairly kind of tit-for-tat to begin with. You know, they were anti-England songs and anti-Germany songs coming from both ends, and then it noticeably towards half-time started getting a little bit edgier. You know, a few of the... Uh, a few from both sides kind of move right up to the barriers um, with the no man's land in between and we're, you know, horseplay, shall we say. Um, and then, of course, the flashpoint on the pitch with Andrea Gray kind of seemed to kick everything off. Um, you know, we won the free kick. I think their lad kind of, you know, went through uh, or caught the back of Gray. Gray got up and pushed him. And that seemed to be the signal for everything just to, you know, start getting uh, getting a little bit tastier, if you will, uh, and uh, and that's when these kind of missiles started coming over. So there was, you know, bottles to begin with and coins. And then um, we looked back and we could see kind of wooden, you know, bits of the seat, bits of the back to begin with, and then bits of the actual seat uh, were coming over. So I managed to miss the Ben Me goal because I had kind of one eye on um, <laughs> making sure we didn't get hit with anything. And just after the Me goal went in, uh, this kind of piece of wooden seat kind of landed on the, the row in front of us, kind of, you know, a couple of seats away. And just me and my mate, three of my mates had gone downstairs to get a, a drink and a pie at that point. I think they'd had enough of the, uh, you know, the threat. Uh, but, you know, being a bit of a tight bugger, I'd, I'd spent a tenner on a ticket and I was making sure I got a full 45 minutes in. So, uh, so yeah, so we stayed. And like I say, I managed to miss the bloody goal. Um, I only saw it on Twitter that night when the club put it out. Um but yeah, it was almost the worst time to score a goal, and you know Ben Me tried to calm, calm. Well, both sets of fans really was just saying, look, stay calm. And I think a couple of Hanover players were doing the same. But I think as soon as as soon as half time came, we we had a bit of a feeling that uh, we wouldn't be playing the second half. So um, we went downstairs, and the the steward who um, was taking quite a lot of flack from Burnley fans, kind of a little bit. Unfairly, she uh, she announced that they were shutting the cricket field stand to um, to home fans, moving everyone into the James Hargreaves law. And as soon as we got in there, there was, was the usual discussions, and the big wigs were were kind of in that corner, and you just you just knew we weren't going to see a second half really. Yeah, it seemed like it was dealt with very quickly and efficiently. Is that how it felt inside the ground? Yeah, there were a, lot of, a few people criticising police and, and stewards, but I actually thought, um, A, the stewards were, you know, the stewards and police were lined up. They obviously, you know, there'd been some police intelligence that suggests that there was, you know, potential for a number of ultras coming over from Germany, perhaps people who couldn't get onto domestic matches. And the fact that we were allowing them to essentially pay cash for tickets means you lose control of who you get coming into your ground. And there'd been a bit of trouble before. Uh, at the Inn on the Wharf, I believe. Um, but yeah, you know, I actually, you know, I think I said on Twitter, fair play to police and stewards. You know, as soon as the, the trouble started, the stewards had the gate at the front of the cricket field open and were allowing, you know, those with children and people who were, you know, not fancying staying in that stand get across onto the north floor. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I actually think they, they did a very good job in, in very, very tested circumstances. It does seem to be mostly from the Hanover fans. Was there any retaliation or anything like that that you saw? No, I mean to be honest, like I say, apart from tit for tat singing, you know, these it it was you know Hanover fans. You know, it was uh, people, and you only have to look at some of the pictures. I mean, it's like going back to the nineteen eighties. I mean, uh, you know, these people look like they don't get out much, and uh, they'd, they'd finally been let loose, and you know, it looked like they were just there for a fight. You know, if you go into a football match and you, you're covering your face up, you're only doing that for one reason. So, as far as I could see, you know, they were obviously Burnley fans were angry that things were coming their way and things were being thrown back and forth. But I, I think the blame is squarely at the feet of the um, probably what was only a minority of the you know four five hundred Hanover fans, but a, a you know a fairly boisterous and vocal and uh, and, and violent minority. Yeah, certainly not something I've uh, seen in football since I've been watching Burnley. It's, it's just disappointing all around, isn't it, for Burnley, for Hanover and for the game in general? Yeah, I mean, I said to people, I remember 
matches being abandoned due to weather, due to floodlight failure. I seem to remember a cup game against Walsall in the past, never due to crowd trouble, and certainly never due to crowd trouble in a in a pre-season friendly. But like you say, it's just a shame, really. It was shaping up to be a half decent match. They looked a half decent team. They were testing us. We were, you know, they were keeping a lot of the ball, almost kind of ideal preparation, a bit like the set of ego game as well. So, you know, it's just a shame that, you know, fairly decent opposition on the pitch although they were one or two naughty challenges it comes with that baggage and I think whoever booked them at the club or the agency that booked them I think will probably be you know under instructions to look a little bit carefully more carefully into the the background of the the traveling fans I think yeah thanks for that Andrew I think very quickly we're going to talk about Andre Gray in a minute so what are your thoughts uh, very quickly on his departure well I think it's a good deal you know he's he's in his last year of his contract you know if it is 18 million 18.5 million is being suggested it's uh, it's good money you know there is the frustration that we've perhaps not replaced Michael Keane yet um this is another big marquee signing that we need so you know I think Dash has got his work cut out uh you know Gray's been fantastic for us in that promotion season had an all right season last year missed it because of the um the the the, the much deserved ban um and I just think it's it's he's got a lot of raw talent, and I just think we perhaps didn't play to his strengths. You know, he perhaps uh, frustrated the management team a little bit more than than some of his colleagues. And you know, to be fair, he was playing second fiddle quite a bit towards the end of last season. So to get eighteen, eighteen and a half million for for somebody who's in the last year of his contract has no intention of signing a new contract. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fairly relaxed as well. It sounds a bit weird. I'm going on holiday on Friday, so I might not see the carnage at Stamford Bridge. But I'm fairly relaxed that Dyche will have a plan for both centre-half and centre-forward. So that was Kevin having a chat to local journalist Andrew Greaves earlier on about the Hanover 96 game. And of course, the news that's broken today that Andre Gray has been sold to Watford for a Watford club record fee of 18.5 million. It's come as a little bit of a shock to us all today. I think there have been some rumblings around the the news this summer that Andre was looking to leave the club. But I don't think any of us actually genuinely believe that it would happen. Um, before we move back to um, James and Kevin, just to get their reaction, we had a quick look on Twitter as to your reaction to the news that Andre had left. Um, Nick said to us, it's a good fee. Would have been better to go earlier in the summer. Doesn't affect that we still need to replace Keane, Barnes, Vokes and Walters. Stuart told us, it seems a daft decision with only three days left before the opening game of the season. Have to hope someone's on the verge of signing tomorrow. John Percival, he tweeted us to say, I'm worried. It weakens us and strengthens one of our relegation rivals. A great Dini partnership could get a lot of goals. Um, Sean Southern said, timing of it makes it difficult to replace him with a proven striker in our price range. Not strong enough up front. Tom Whitaker, who's a friend of none and never, they simply said, not sold enough of our best players yet, in my opinion, which uh, which did make me chuckle quite a little bit. Um, but one one tweet from Gary Curson, which is what I've been seeing a lot of on Twitter today as this story has been unfolding, says, to be fair, he didn't set the Premier League alight last season. We never played to his strengths. In the second half of the season, he did very little. I'm trusting we have a replacement lined up who will fit our system better. James, obviously this is um, all sorts of news, terrifying, exciting, worrying, all of the emotions in equal measures. Just what do you make of this today? I was shocked, uh, to to be perfectly honest. Um, You know, I think there'd obviously been rumours earlier in the the summer that he was, um, you know, wanting 100,000 a week or, you know, crazy money. And um, there was talk about him maybe leaving. But it, it seemed to all quieten down. And obviously, you, you looked at um, his tweets, which is pretty much the only sort of interaction we, we've seen from him over the summer. And, and he looked like he was, you know, ready to come back and play for Burnley. Uh, obviously, there was the rumours over the weekend of Wolves offering 20 million. And I think people sort of laugh that off as, you know, he's not going to drop down a week to, even if it is better money. Because um, you know his goal's always been to play Premier League football, so it was a bit out of the blue. Uh, to be honest, I hadn't really heard any whisperings about it. Maybe that is partly because Watford didn't expect to be able to get that sort of business done. Um, you know, I think you would have said before today, both us and Watford were looking at 15th, 16th, 17th. Um, 
in the table. But now I think that they've signed Gray. You know, Gray and Deeney could be a fantastic partnership for them, and they could be really looking to push on into sort of the the next grouping, as as you could say, of the yeah. the Premier League sort of real mid table. And it leaves us with big questions to ask of uh, you know our team. And I think an important thing to say as well is that obviously Gray put out a little screenshot of a note on, on Twitter like players do a lot these days and um you know he thanked everyone at the club. Um and I think he you know he showed that even though he may have had, you know, some some minor so you know some issues with social media in the past that um I think at heart he's a you know a good guy and um I think he's gonna be a really big mess for us. Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, I think our views probably echo the reaction of the listeners um, and, and people who've, who've tweeted us today. Kevin, a lot of the comments that we've seen at the moment is that Gray may not have played that much next season anyway with the introduction of the potential 4-5-1 formation and he somehow didn't quite fit into our system and Dash's way of playing and and some of the criticisms we've had over podcasts previously is that our style of play doesn't give him the service that he needs but even taking that into account he's still a massive loss isn't he surely he is yeah he's a player who can who can change games and I don't think we've got many players who can who can change games and do do something a bit different and and give us that bit of pace as well which we, we don't have anymore is that pace in the team it is a, it is an interesting one though because I think like you say Andre Gray as a, as a footballer as a player I think he's a he's a fantastic talent I think he's got the potential to go on and be a, a very very good um, Premier League Premier League forward player having said that I'm not sure how he fits into Burnley's team, and I think Sean Dyche is feeling the same way. We we saw last season that Sean Dyche struggled to get Gray into the team a lot, and when he did get into the team, it was almost like he didn't really know what to do with him and how to fit him in in different ways. Um, and I think in the promotion season, Gray fit into our team so well; it worked so perfectly. Um, and in the Premier League last season, it just didn't work in the same way. He was. There was a, I think there's two reasons behind that. One, I think Gray plays a game of percentages. So a lot of fans criticise Gray for being offside a lot. I think that's by design. I think he he's intentionally, with instruction from the manager as well, he runs early, knowing that a lot of the time he's going to be caught offside. But when he does get through, the advantage is going to be worth the, the times that he was offside. Now, that playing the percentage game only works well when you can get forward enough to make that percentage game work. So if you in the championship, if he's trying that 15 times and gets through two or three times, that's, that's that, that works well. If he's in the Premier League, he's only doing that if he's only getting the opportunity to do that three or four times a game, then that's the percentage game doesn't work out there. I think the other thing is that in the Premier League, in the Championship, our, we were able to get forward as a team a lot more, whereas in the Premier League, our, particularly our wingers had to sit back and defend a lot more, which is why we saw Gray in the channels a lot last season. There was so I think for many games he spent more time out wide than in central, um, which is just not where he thrives at all. It's just a waste of him being there. So I think the only way we can really get the best of Andre Gray in our team is if we've got there's two options. One is a four-five-one, um, where we can play those balls through the middle and get allow the wingers a bit more freedom to get forward. The problem with that is that Andre Gray doesn't work in a four-five-one. We've we've tried that before and it's not been successful. The other way is with Stephen DeFore in the team. So I think he's the only player in a four-four-two system who will be able to play the balls into Andre Gray that he needs. And I think the chances of of Stephen DeFore playing in a 4-4-2 under Burnley this season on a regular regular basis are very, very low, if not zero. So it's an interesting one that I think in terms of a player who's a fantastic player, in the right system, he will score a lot of goals uh, in the Premier League. But I'm just not sure how he fits into into Sean Dyche's Burnley team. So it's 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 one of those where you're disappointed to lose him, probably disappointed in the, the circumstances in which we've lost him. But I certainly don't think it's as big a blow as as many will be will be and are making out. Yeah, it's always it's always easy in this kind of situation when the the news first breaks to, to, to panic a little bit, isn't it? And and those of you who follow me on Twitter will know I've been firmly in that category today. I've been panicking like nobody's business. And I think the 
judgment will arrive with this signing, depending on who we get in to replace him. At the end of the day, we've we've recovered 18.5 million for him, which is significantly more than what we paid for him. Um, and it's for a player who's got one year left on his contract. And and whether or not that was a good business sense depends very much on who we bring in. If we bring in a, a fantastic replacement who does fit Daisha's system a little bit better and does manage to score some goals and, and also bring a little bit more pace into the team as well, then it looks on paper to be a fantastic bit of business. I think I share the the views of a lot of people where saying is that it's just the, the things that make it worse are the timing of it. You know, Would we be as concerned if it was right at the beginning of the summer? maybe we'd be less panicking because we would know we'd have plenty more time to bring somebody else in. Um, and also, who are we going to... Um, oh, sorry, no, the, the second point being that we've sold him to a potential relegation rival and it just decreases that pool of other clubs who we are trying to make go down instead of us. And I fully expect Watford now to to, to be comfortable mid-table um, side this season. So... Who knows? Um, the next couple of days are going to be very, very busy for Burnley. I think uh, it's going to depend largely on who they bring in. So let's keep an eye on that one. Yeah, no, I think uh, you've hit the, the nail right on the head there, uh, Natalie. It is all about who comes in to replace him. Uh, obviously, as it stands, I'd say it's a really poor piece of business. And that's obviously got to be the, the default position. Because as it stands at the moment, we've lost one of our top scorers from last season. The guy who, if he played enough this season and we played to his strengths, would almost certainly be our top scorer. Um, but as you said, there's now 18.5 million in the pot ready to spend. Um, and I think the board said before the summer there was maybe 40 million to spend. So when you think about the amount we've recouped from uh, both Keane and Gray and the very little we've spent in comparison, we, we must be talking about you know six, the best part of 60 million still there to spend yeah, yeah, and yeah. 60 million although obviously the market is crazy these days can still go a long way and you know if we bring in um a young striker who's hungry wants to get the same opportunity that we gave Andre Gray last season then maybe it can end up being seen as a, a good bit of business um but if we don't and it ultimately costs our Premier League place then I don't think remaining in the Premier League so you're dropping down a division, but having 18 and a half million is worth it over staying in the Premier League and losing him for nothing. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, I think one of the things that maybe concerns me a little bit is the fact that it doesn't necessarily seem to be um, the price of a player that's that's causing Burnley some problems in the transfer market. It seems to be wage structure. Um, and I think one of the, the examples that we, we saw on Twitter today, and I, I certainly share this view, we we spent a, a good part of the early part of the transfer window um, trying to get a Sambalonga in and we lost out on him. He he was a championship striker who chose to stay at a championship club. Um, and, and Deitch came out and admitted that we could not compete with Borough in terms of wages. So if we're losing out on championship level strikers to a championship, and I, do, I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but at the moment, Borough are a championship side. What? How are we going to replace Gray with the quality? If we've got seventy million to spend, it's not necessarily the price; it's the wages. That's a, that's a massive point, and yeah, you know maybe there does need to be a bit of uh, you know redressing of the 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 budgets. You know, much like you would do on Football Manager, where you can assign a little bit of your transfer <laughs> budget to to wages. I think you know there are going to be players that maybe we need to push it a little bit. Um, I believe Robbie Brady's um, our top earner. On yeah, like it surprised me. 30, 35 region. Is that which, all? You know, isn't really a lot in the Premier League. And, you know, people have obviously been saying Shane Long would be the, the perfect replacement. But he was reported in the, the local press in Southampton a season ago to be on 45 a week. Um, he's obviously not going to move for, for less money. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see see what we do. Obviously, I imagine Jack Cork's probably right up there with Robbie Brady. Yeah, I would have thought you know, so. Really decent money, and even that might have been a cut for him. Um, but obviously, what we did see last season is that Burnley played, paid out more bonuses to our players for staying up than Leicester did for winning the title. Yeah. So, and that's that's not a bad financial structure, is it? Because it just it enables the club to um, manage their finance as well. Particularly um, at the moment when the the risk, obviously, of relegation is that you could go yeah. down and have all these players on Premier League money and not be able to afford them. Because yeah, unfortunately, exactly. you know, common sense. If you're in any other sort of business, you'd have clauses. You know, if this kind of risk of mm. revenue just dropping off, 
based on performances there to reduce wages. I thought we had that in, though in our contracts. I think I heard we did. Sometimes we do to an extent, but I don't think players are very accepting of no, that these days. No. Um, and as a result, obviously, it's a it's a players market, and it's been a players market for a few years. Players hold the power, um, and clubs just sort of have to, you know, pay pay the market rate. Um, and it, it's it's insane because obviously you're talking yeah. about Shane Long being on forty five thousand. I'm sure most of our listeners are on less than forty five thousand a year, never mind yeah, forty five thousand exactly. a week. God, it's um, a lot of money. I I definitely am. Um, so it is a little bit like football is a bit detached from reality at the moment, and um, it's going to be interesting to see what we can do with our wage structure, even though we have got big money for transfer fees. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the the, the great talk because obviously it's it's something that has only just um, come out today, so we are still processing the information and, and and we're yet to see how the club are going to react. So I expect that we will cover this after the Chelsea game at the weekend. But one reoccurring theme over Twitter as the day has um, unfolded has been, and I'm going to ask both of you these questions to how you feel about this, has been a very strong and very repetitive suggestion that Burnley takes back Danny Ings either on loan or purchases him back as a replacement. Kevin, your reaction to Danny Ings coming back, please? Um, I, I'd probably take him on loan. I think mm. he's he's too he's too big of a risk to sign permanently, uh, given his his injury record over not just at Liverpool. Obviously, we know that he had a injury rec- injury problems before we joined Liverpool uh, with Burnley as well. So uh, I think he's too big a risk for us to sign permanently. He's probably too big of a risk for anybody to sign permanently uh, at the moment. So I think a loan deal um, is probably what will happen to him. I, I wouldn't be. I'm not usually a big fan of going back for former players, and I think for somebody who's been out for such a long time, it's probably going to take him some t- some time to get back to. Um, proper match fitness as well so it's not something I would actively be looking to do but I, I wouldn't at the same time I wouldn't be crying I wouldn't be I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain too much if it did happen His familiarity with Vokes um, so we saw last, the last promotion Vokes and Gray being good together was key um, and I think having a partnership has been key for us when we've been really successful uh, so to bring in a ready-made partnership would, would be really good. Um, the, the only thing against it, as has been mentioned, his injury record is, you know, less than ideal. Um, but at the same account, you know, maybe Liverpool are going to be a little bit nervous about, um, you know, bringing him back into the, the fold um, and maybe sending him out on loan to, to Burnley is the perfect way for them to see whether, you know, he's still got a long-term future there, you know, whether he can still cut it at the Premier League level after so much time you know, in and out with, with injuries. Um, and I think it'd be a good one for the fans. Um, you know, I'm normally like, so against the, the bringing back old players thing. But I'll be honest, bringing back Jack Cork has got the excitement going in me. It may be the only exciting signing we've made so far this summer. But, uh, well, maybe Charlie Taylor. But it did make me... Um, did make me smile quite a bit bringing uh, Court back, and I think uh, for a lot of fans that you know bringing Ings back would do the same thing. It'd give a bit of buzz, and maybe having just sold, uh, you know, Keane and Gray, something to energise the fans is what we need, and you know, get the atmosphere at the turf for the first game of the season because obviously he'd get a, he would get a phenomenal reception um, when his name was read out, and I think that could really push on. Um, you know, push the fans on to, to supporting the team. And that first game against West Brom at home is going to, I think, really set the tone for our season. I think moving on away from those discussions, the Clarets open their Premier League campaign away at Chelsea, which when you first look at the fixtures, you can sometimes look at that with a bit of a groan and just think that's a massive task to try and get some points off the on the board on the outset and, and obviously try and get, you know, gain some momentum for your season. But there are also arguments that there is probably the, the best time that you can to play the defending champions. I'd think I'd much rather play Chelsea away from home on the first game of the season than in the, the bottom eight of the season uh, at the back end when we're trying to um, see how the season finishes. James, is this the right time to play Chelsea? You know, they looked really out of sorts in the Charity Shield over the weekend. They've they've obviously got Eden Hazard is out injured. They've lost Matic as well to, to United. Can you think of a better time than this to play them? 
I'm going to start by saying I apply the same logic to the, the Community Shield as I do pre-season oh, games. Oh, okay, fair enough. It's, <laughs> That's a sound it's, logic. It's not sure if it's a, just a very boring exhibition game, isn't it? Um, but I've, on, on the other side of this, I, I do think that this is the best time to play Chelsea. Um, I think the beginning of the season is always the best time to play these big sides um, unless they've got something to you know, to prove from the, the previous season. So maybe it's not as good a time to say maybe play Man City, who obviously had a disappointing season last time round. Uh, but Chelsea, you know, won the league, won the league comfortably. Um, so I think, yeah, first game in, so it's a great time to try and take advantage of any complacency. Um, you know, see what you can do. And uh, Stamford Bridge is always a tough place to go. So, uh, you know, even coming away with a draw, I think would be seen as a, a massive result for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, Kevin, obviously one of the concerns we brought last season was turning around Burnley's away form, which it feels like a broken record that we're always talking about, but there are some underlying issues there that we need to resolve. You kind of look at this fixture list, don't you, and think, oh God, the first away fixture when you want to put right all of those issues last season is away at Chelsea where you, you probably have got absolutely no chance of winning. Is this the t- is this the time, is this the game where Burnley can start putting right that away day hoodoo? Probably not, no. But um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I guess on, the, on, on one way, you, you, you look at this and say it's, it could be a positive in that we get to go into the first away game of season without any pressure. Um, no one's expecting us to get anything. Um, you can imagine if we went into the season with our first away game being Stoke or West Brom or something like that, there's maybe a bit of ex- expectation of, you know, is that is the away form going to continue? We're going to be rubbish away from home again. Um, probably it's not the case with this first game. Um, so you can probably can go in there, get a feel for how we're going to be setting up away from home, get a feel for being a, an away Premier League um, team at home, um, away from home again, and also in one of the, the the biggest and most majestic scenes in the league as well. Um, we're getting one of our, you know, we're building into it in a one of the biggest ways you can, one of the biggest stadiums in the, in the league. So it's good to kind of get that out of the way as well. Um, I guess you, you looking at the the general home and away, we've certainly got a much easier home start than we did our away. We have our away start, which is kind of yeah, slightly concerning, but. Does our away form then end up being as bad as it was last season? Because it takes us so long to get a win. Um, on the flip side, it's better being that way, I think, than the other way around. If we had a really hard um, home start to the season and we didn't win at home for ages and we had an easy away start, but we didn't win away from home. So um, it's our way, we're not going to beat Chelsea. I don't think it'd be great if we did. Um, I think we can go in there with no expectation, no pressure, go in there, get a good, good feel for the team, get a good feel for the new players and the new setup. And um, going to West Brom in a much more positive light um, than it would have been. So I think it's actually quite good. I think we're, we're better off starting. We've always done really badly, actually, in our first game of the season, haven't we? Um, in yeah, the Premier we League. <laughs> so it's actually, I think it's, it's great. We can go into the first game, um, no pressure, get a feel for the yeah, Premier League, get a feel for the Premier League, um, get a feel for the new, new team and go into West Brom and smash them 6-0. Oh, excellent! I love this positivity, Kevin. Yeah, I think I think for me, I'm not. I don't have any expectations away at Chelsea. I think that the chances are we're probably going to win. A draw would be a fantastic result. Uh, a win, and I would just be completely delirious. But um, for me, uh, the only thing I expect from the players is to compete. I want them to play positively. I'd be really disappointed if Deitch carries on his form from last season and plays ridiculously defensive and very negative and and just doesn't even try. Um, I understand the arguments about you know not wanting to be completely exposed but I just want to see them try and compete and and just try and and make something happen and I'll be very, very happy. Um, So there we go. Burnley start away from home next season and uh, we will be here next week to discuss all things Chelsea. But we're going to leave this week's episode on a moment of pure joy, a moment that if you could inject just liquid happiness into the heart of every Burnley fan, I think that this would be the moment. Of course, this weekend was the start of the English Football League. James Bird, what happened this weekend? Well, this is a very special county corner. Who knows, maybe even the last county corner ever, unless he repeats this feat again, uh, in which case it, it will come back. Um, but yes, first game of the season. Blackburn Rovers expected to win their league by uh, the media and their fans and probably even the players. Uh, but 
a Burnley player was there to help dent that dream on the first day. Michael Kiteley making sure it was a 2-1 win for his side with an exquisite finish from inside the penalty area. And what a celebration. Wheeling away in front of the Rovers fans, looking right at them. Uh, <laughs> I like to think for a moment he was picturing himself in a Burnley shirt. Oh, I think he was. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I really liked his um I liked his comment afterwards. He said it's nice it's actually quite nice to get stick because it spurs you on and it was pleasing to score in front of them. Oh amazing. Was... You gotta love that guy. You've gotta love that guy as well to still have that feeling and still have that happiness and that desire when his the end of his campaign at Burnley was was just really difficult for him and he was on the bench all the time. And I think one of the things that I'll always be grateful to Michael Cartley for was for just his commitment to the club and he never he never bothered and he never whinged and he just wanted to stay and do things for the side to to so to still have that feeling of loyalty to Burnley, even after it didn't quite work for him, is, is an admirable thing. So, Michael Kiteley, on behalf of None and Ever, we love you. Thank you. Uh, also <laughs> worth saying, had a fantastic end to the season last year in the Championship. He did, so yeah. I think he will absolutely tear League One up. Oh, I hope he does. I really hope that so, that guy has a good season. Definitely. Well, thank you for that. That is everything for this week's show, listeners. Thanks as ever go to Adam, our producer, for editing this week's podcast. Special thanks to Andrew Greaves for his input on the Hanover game. Thanks as ever to Kevin and to James for joining me on this week's panel. But our special thanks go to you, the listeners, for downloading and listening to this podcast. We would not be here if it wasn't for you. We'll be back next week to analyse the Chelsea game and to look forward to our first home game of the season. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. I've been Natalie Bromley. Until next time. This time last year. Kevin, you next top goal scorer? Uh, Lukas Djokovic. I, I don't think he'll get one. <laughs> That's my bet of the season. <laughs> Lukas Djokovic oh, will not score a goal. Safe bet there, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Stick that in a double, Kevin. See what odds you get. Djokovic top goal scorer, West Brom to win the league. That will be big odds. Gamble responsibly. Yeah. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.